series, Dig Deep. And uh, what we did for the first four weeks is we talked about just this idea that we have these narratives in our lives, these things that we believe about ourselves and that we believe about God. And uh, we talked about making those false narratives, the ones we believe about ourselves, match up with Scripture so that they become true narratives. And what we've been talking about now, we're in kind of the other half of that, is we're going over these different attributes of God and what does that mean? What impact does it mean on my life? If, if, if we say God is good, what does that actually mean? How, how does that change the narratives in my life? This morning, we're going to talk about the fact that God is faithful. And as you look and kind of take an inventory of your life, you think about, you know, what, what does it mean if, if God truly is faithful? What does that mean for me? When I was growing up, uh, my dad was an alcoholic. And so up, up until the time I was 11, our home was just volatile. It, it was unpredictable. And I don't mean it was volatile in that um, he was abusive towards me in any way. He wasn't physically abusive. It's just that you just never knew what the alcohol was going to pr- produce. And so he might lose his job all of a sudden. Um, uh, the police might show up. Uh, the, he might kick down the front door. We might be carted off to our Aunt Cal's house. All these things happen, and you just never knew. And you might go a couple weeks without anything happening, and then all of a sudden, bam, you know. And so for me, I like predictability. I like things to go the way I, I've planned them to go. I don't, like, I don't like volatile personalities. Like if you're up and down and all that, I'm, I'm usually <laughs> going the other way. Uh, well, what happened was my dad uh, became sober. He's been sober now for 35 years. And when he uh, accepted Christ, he uh, fixed his alcohol problem. And uh, we moved to California so that he could become a pastor, but we had lost everything. And so my new volatile situation, my new unpredictable environment was the fact that we were poor. We had no money at all. And so I was in a neighborhood and in an environment that was very volatile, even though my dad was no longer volatile and unpredictable, my environment was. And so at 12 years old, I got a job as a paper boy and I discovered my trust and my hope in life was money. (laughs) Like I knew if I just had some money in the bank, it was okay. And I don't know if any of you feel, have ever felt that way, but there's just this sense of, I knew I didn't have to trust in my parents. I knew, I knew if, if I wanted something, if my friends were going out, if I wanted to buy a bike, I didn't have to have them tell me we didn't have enough money. And so I worked a lot. So I, I picked up a paper route, then I picked up two. Um, and at one point I had three. And, and I just knew I could work my way out of anything. And this continued through college. I had a job, sometimes two jobs. Out of college, I worked, worked, worked. I worked very hard. And I always wanted to just, it didn't have to be a lot of money. It just had to be enough to make me feel safe, right? Now, as we think about this in a church context, you, first of all, you're like, well, why did you become a pastor then? I don't know. I thought there was good money in it. No, I, I'm just kidding. Uh, but but, but I, I remember having two bank accounts not that you couldn't put all your money in one bank account, but I just like to have another bank account that just kind of had money in it, just a little bit of money, so I felt, I felt safe, okay? Money was my plan B. If things didn't work out with my parents, <laughs> I could always go to my bank account. If I wanted something, I didn't have to go to my parents. I could always kind of go to this. And, and all of us throughout our lives 
have come up with these plan Bs at different parts of our life. Some of us have relied on our looks. Some of us have relied on our education. Some of us have relied on our ability to work. Some of us have relied on maybe uh, I have a friend who's waiting for their parents to die so that they can, uh, their plan B is that that's, that's their retirement was their retirement, right? That, that's their plan B. The problem is, as you can imagine, and as you've seen in your own life, people's plan Bs don't really work out all the time, and they're not guaranteed to work all the time. And oftentimes, as we rely on those things and they fail us, we're in a worse off spot than we would have been had we not trusted in those things at all. Some of our plan Bs are destructive. Some of us, when we get into a situation, we're the ones with the volatile attitude that keeps everybody off base, everybody a little bit um, just kind of out of step so that we can control the situation. Some of us use uh, humor. Some of us use our charm. Some of us run to medication as our plan B. When things get hard, when we don't understand, we run to whatever that thing is that will just kind of dull the pain for us. Some of us flirt. Just in case the one relationship doesn't work out, we got, plan, we got plan B. Some of us, our plan B is in the shape of a little card that's about that big that we can just swipe and, ah, it feels so much better. Well, here's some things I just wrote down that I, I, I wanted us to see. Just a couple thoughts just in the beginning before we get into the scripture. The first thing is, is this. That plan B's can cause us to miss out on something deep and exciting in our journey with God. This other thing, like I'll just run to this or I'll just grab some money or I'll just do it. Sometimes it, it causes us to lose, to miss out on something deep and exciting with our relationship with God. And I, I wrote this down too. The, the problem with plan B's is that we can run to them so fast we miss God speaking to us. We miss God. Hear that? Sometimes the problem with plan B is that we can run to them so fast that we miss God speaking to us. We miss God. Here's the thing I want us to see this morning we talked about already. God God is trustworthy, number one. And number two, Jesus had no plan B. Jesus wasn't like, look, I'm going to do this ministry thing, and if it doesn't work out, I'll go to my dad's carpentry shop, or I'll open up Tables R Us, or whatever he did, whatever they made as a carpenter. Jesus' plan A was full obedience to his heavenly Father, in whom he put all his trust. That was it. That's his only plan. And he said this in a lot of different ways. He said, I don't say anything. My heavenly father doesn't tell me what to say. I don't do anything that he doesn't tell me what to do. Plan A, the only plan Jesus has, full obedience in his heavenly father who he trusted implicitly. Here's what I'm hoping by the end of this time as we're going to take communion together. What I'm hoping is that we'll be able to present a case that that same heavenly father that Jesus trusted in fully is the same Heavenly Father you can trust in fully, even when things get hard. Because not having a plan B is scary. <laughs> I mean, but if it's money and you don't have any money, you just, what, what, what are you going to do? If it's your job and all of a sudden you get laid off, what are you going to do? If it's how you manipulate people and all of a sudden everyone's just tired of you, what are you going to do? Jesus had no plan B. I, um, 
I want to talk about this idea of cups. We're going to, we're going to talk a little bit about cups. We're going, to, we're going to each get a cup. For anyone who wants to participate in communion, you're going to get a cup. And that word cup is throughout the Bible in all different settings and all different ways. One, one time, um, Jesus had 12 disciples, as you know, and the, kind of the three that rose to prominence, you know, the ones were Peter, James, and John. James and John were brothers. They called them the sons of Zebedee because there was another James that was uh, not, uh, uh, not those guys. So they'd say, you know, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And they had this mom who was a Jewish mom who um, she felt like the need to manipulate in order to make sure the kids were okay. I don't know if there's any parents in here that you sometimes maybe that's your plan B. My kid's road isn't going really well, so I'm going to hover in behind and I'm going to guide and direct and push and prod and manipulate and that's your plan B. They're not doing it on their own. I'm going to do it. I'm going to control, okay? I, I know there's none here in this particular uh, place, but I've heard of those parents. Um, so she comes down and she kneels before Jesus. And she says, can you do me a favor? And Jesus says, well, you know, what is it? He said, okay, when you enter your kingdom, can you make sure James and John are on your right and left hand? And here's the thing. I don't even care which side either one's on. They can work that out. I just wonder, can you just make sure that, that they're on your right and left hand, this, this position of prominence? Here's what Jesus said. And this is one of the first things I want us to see about plan B's. He says this, you don't know what you're asking. You have no idea what you're asking right now. Now, when I look at the kind of the way I manage my life or have managed my life or the way I raise my kids and all this kind of thing, oftentimes, isn't that, if anyone who's had kids, you know, you have your seven-year-old son comes to you and says, I want a chainsaw, you know, and you're like, you don't even know what you're like, no, I'm not going to give you a chainsaw. You're seven. You know, like you don't even know what you're asking. Or, or, or you're, you get on your knees and you're like, dear God, please let her fall in love with me. And he knows everything about her that you don't know. And he's like, you don't even know what you're asking. Like, no, right? I mean, like when, when somebody, or vice versa, the guy and the gal, and, you know, send all your emails to adua at livingspring.com. Uh, <laughs> So, so, you know, he, he's in this whole thing. You don't know what you're asking. Like, you want this thing, but you, it's the wrong thing. It's the wrong kingdom. Jesus talked about kingdoms all the time. Matter of fact, his big prayer, when he taught us to pray, he said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your plan, your thing. So she comes to him and says, you don't know what I'm asking. And here's what he says. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? Now, what this meant to them was this. Are you all in on this? Now, what we know that they didn't know is that Jesus was talking about something totally different than taking over the Romans. He says, are you, are you ready for this? Are you willing to take this cup? And so she's kneeling in front of him and they're right behind him like, doo, doo, doo. like I could just you know I don't know if they were like this or who's all sit on the right hand how, how it was but they were right there like their mom was talking to Jesus for them okay so he says they say we can <laughs> we can what's the cup again what is it which one is it we're we just going to take over Rome we can do that Jesus was talking about something totally different. As a matter of fact, what he says to him is this. 
He says, oh, you will indeed drink from my cup. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. See, what he's telling them is there is another plan, another kingdom that's happening that your trustworthy Heavenly Father has already worked out. Now think about your own life, and maybe you do have kids that you're trying to guide and direct and manipulate and go before Jesus and get on your knees and say, just, you know, please don't, you know, let, help them make wise choices, you know, all these, these, I, these things they're doing. And maybe it's something totally different. Maybe it's your husband. Maybe it's your wife. Someplace you want to be in control. And there's a heavenly father. I'm just here to tell you that he's trustworthy and that he's got you. Maybe it's an ailment that you have. You can't understand. Maybe it's one of your kids' ailments that you can't understand. Maybe it's just a position in life that you're in. You find yourself in a place you never thought you were going to be. I'm here to propose to you that there's a heavenly father that's trustworthy. That even Jesus says, look, I I can't, I'm not going to say who's going to be on the right or left hand. My heavenly father takes care of that. He's got that all under control. So he talks about this cup. Well, he brings up the idea of a cup later on. Actually, the disciples get upset at, 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 at James and John. They get in this big argument about who's sitting on the right and left hand. And Jesus says this. He, he just says, um, you know, the Gentiles lorded over, you know. Yeah, everyone had a boss where he, was lord, he or she were lording it over you. Jesus was saying, that that's, 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 their, that's their plan B. That's the way they operate life. He says, not so with you guys. With you, the least will be first. The first shall be last. If you want a Lord, if you want to be in control, then you're slaved to all. What he's saying is this. If you want the kingdom of God radically manifested in your life, allow God to take care of all that. You don't have to be in control. So this is a a little bit before he goes to die and uh, he ends up in this upper room on the Passover night and he talks about another cup. First, when you put the Gospels together and you get a little bit of a timeline, first he demonstrates this idea about being first and last by washing the disciples' feet. I mean, he was the rabbi. He was the one with the position of power and he washes their feet. He says, do you know what I've done for you? I've broken the chains of you having to be first. I've given you an example of what it looks like to just place your life in your Heavenly Father's hands. And so then he takes the cup and when he had given thanks he gave it to them and they all drank from it. I was reading that and I was thinking I wonder if Jesus was talking about this cup when he says you will drink from my cup if it was this it was if it was if he was thinking of communion or was he thinking about a trial was he thinking about these guys dying a martyr's death you know and he was like all right yeah you're gonna you're gonna be all in all right you're gonna die someday for that I don't know but he takes the cup and they all drank from it. And here's what he says. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. As we take communion this morning, this is what we're saying. We're all in. We are all in. We do this in remembrance of Christ. We do this in remembrance of how Christ was all in, of how Christ took his life and placed it into his heavenly father's hands and said, not my will, but your will be done. Exactly how he prayed when he was talking about um, The Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
And so he says, this is my blood of the covenant, the promise, the agreement. And this goes back to when God had a covenant with Abraham and there was this sacrifice. And basically it was all about, I will be their God. They will be my people. And now Jesus comes and he says, this is my blood of that agreement, of that covenant now. You get a chance, an opportunity to place your life solely in the hands of a living God that is trustworthy, that loves you. And so that's what he does. He says, which is poured out for many. And, and so they take the first communion again. And Paul tells us that when we do this, when we, when we take communion this morning, we do it in remembrance of that. So you just take a little bit of time, just a few hours after that, we find Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. He knows what's coming. He knows what's going to happen. He's, placed, he's, he's still on plan A. He has no way to get past it. He's on plan A. He's been trusting his heavenly father the whole time and he knows what's coming. And so he says this. He uses this really personal term for for God. He says, Abba, Dad, Dad, Father. And look at these three statements. And these are the three statements I hope that we get this week as we look into how God is trustworthy. Number one, everything is possible for you. You, I don't have to have another plan. You can get me out of this if you want. That's just understanding God's power, understanding God's authority. Everything is possible for you. And then comes the request. Take this cup from me. I don't want to do this. Haven't you been there? in a relationship or in a situation or a bill comes in the mail or, or you're, in, you're just in this, this space that you didn't expect to be in. Maybe you're in, not even in here on your own. It, somebody else did this. You found yourself at a party. You found yourself in a car. You, you found yourself kind of in this spot and you're just like, just, you know, just beam me up. <laughs> just get me out of here. You find yourself in a financial situation and you're like, God, everything's possible for you. Take this away. Here's what I'm here to tell you. Sometimes God doesn't take it away. No matter how much we pray, sometimes our trustworthy Heavenly Father has us go through things. He allows us to go through things. At the end of the day, we can realize that he can be trusted and our faith gets built and we get built and we get stronger. Where those plan Bs begin to just melt away because we go, you know what? He, he proved faithful again. I didn't have to run to that because he's good, because he's trustworthy. And so he says, take this cup from me, but then the third one's the most important, yet not what I will, but what you will. And so he's in this situation, this tension of just... I don't want to go through this. But if you're not going to take it, I guess I'm going to have to take it. I'm going to have to deal with this. You're going to have to supply my need here. You're going to have to be the one that comes to my rescue when things feel so hard that I can't stand. You know, you know the hardest thing of the, the, the thing of the cross that just kills me every time. The hardest for me. The hardest part for me and the whole cross thing is when they've already beaten him, they've already whipped him, he was silent through the whole thing, he did nothing, and he li- he's on the cross with his nails pierced. The hardest part of the whole thing, and he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. That, you know what that shows me? His heavenly Father came to his rescue, because you don't do that on your own. I'm telling you right now. 
I can't even get a ticket without like harboring resentment for a year. You know what I mean? And, and they've gone through all this. He had done nothing. And he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He warns the disciples. He says, watch and pray that you won't fall into temptation for the flesh, uh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. This is God's own experience. He's like, man, my flesh just doesn't want to go through this. I, I, I want to go to a plan B. I want to do what God has for me, but I, I want to run to this plan B. You might find yourself in there this week of going, oh, I just want to run to this. You might find yourself in a situation at work where you just want to open your mouth and defend yourself, or you want to put someone else down so that you can build yourself up, or you want, might find yourself where you want to put it on the credit card because it just feels good to purchase, or you want to run to that thing that you always run to, or you want to escape, or you want to quit, or you want to do whatever. Jesus talks about that. Watch and pray. God's going to come to your rescue. He's, he's trustworthy. So watch what happens. Because we have another cup that's, that's coming up. And this is just such a great, I love this next verse. Uh, then Simon Peter, who had a sword. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. What was Peter doing with a sword? <laughs> like imagine if it read this. Simon Peter, who was packing heat like, who had a gun. Like, you've just spent three years with Jesus. You've seen him walk on water. You've heard God in an audible voice talk to him three times. You know, three different occasions, God's booming voice. One time, Jesus just said, he said, yeah, that was basically for your benefit, not for mine. I hear that all the time. It's kind of his whole thing. You've seen him uh, feed 5,000 people. You, you've seen him... Uh, uh, Raise someone from the dead. Call Lazarus forth. As a matter of fact, Peter, the one who was packing, he, he, uh, Jesus had him stay back and they, they watched this little girl rise from the dead together. But Peter, who had a sword, for some reason, I don't know if it was like, if he just like wakes up in the morning and he just senses that it's really coming down and so he just kind of like puts it, you know, kind of like hides it in there and that's, it's old Bitsy. You know, okay, got ready to go. Bring the Romans and bring it on. I'm ready to go, me and Betsy, you know. Or if he had it on there to show Jesus he was ready. And I don't know how Jesus, if Jesus like kind of saw him with it and was just kind of shaking his head like, dude, uh, okay, well, you can wear your stupid sword. You're not going to need it, but go ahead, whatever. You're going to end up getting naked and running away scared anyway, so whatever. You know what it says in Luke? They all had swords. They all had swords. As a matter of fact, in Luke, it says, when it all went down, after Jesus had prayed to his heavenly father and it all went down, um, they, the question was asked, should we take out our swords? So Peter does in John. He drew it um, and he struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. And then I just love this. You guys, you got to read your Bible. There's so much fun stuff in it. The servant's name was Malchus. You know, just, hey, if you get your ear cut off, at least they can name you in the Bible. Have your name done for about 2,000 years. But it's just so cool. Like, I wonder when John was writing this, if he's just like going, well, who cares what his name? Well, all right, I'll write it down. You know, the servant's name was Malchus. You know, it's a, or Malchus one time prayed, dear God, let me be in the Bible someday. I don't know. Listen, just because you have a sword 
It doesn't mean you need to use it. Just, just because you have a bank account doesn't mean it becomes what you trust in. Just because you've got an education, it doesn't make a good sword. As a matter of fact, what Jesus says to this uh, to, uh, in, in a different gospel, he says, Peter, for those who live by the sword, they die by that same sword. You want money to be your God? Guess what? It's going to fail you. You want your personality to be your God, it's going to fail you. This relationship, you want your kid's future to be your God and you're going to manipulate and try to get it. You want to control your spouse, you're going to die by that. Is basically what Jesus is saying. And here's what he says to him, because he's upset. And he says, put your sword away. And then here he goes with the cup again. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? If he didn't take it away, maybe he wants me to go through it. Maybe even in the midst of the guards walking, and that must have been a very scary sight. Not only the guards, but just everyone from the, from the temple. Like, it just represents everything. It represents the political oppression they were feeling. It represents they're, they're, they're kicked out of the, the community, the religious community. All the, all the places of power, okay? All the kingdom of this world is represented in these people coming. And you either fight or lose. And he says, man, put your sword away. We're going to go through this. Our Heavenly Father is going to have us go through this. He's trustworthy. What, what I wrote down here, I don't have a slide for, but uh, it says this. I wrote down, the cup of communion com- prepares us for the cup of trial. The the cup of communion, what we're saying when we take communion is I'm all in. I'm I'm, going to partner with you. I'm going to take on this role. I'm not going to have a plan B. I'm not going to run to the stuff I used to run to. I'm not trusting you. And here's what I'm hoping happens as we take communion together. Two, Two things. One... If you have a sword you've been carrying around, that thing that you just think, well, you know what, if this doesn't work out, I can always do this. I can rescue them, or I can, I can step up, or I can get this, or I can do that, or I can run to that. Maybe it's time for you to put that sword away. And so as we take communion, maybe this is a time for you to just put the sword away and to go, you know what, God, I'm going to stop striving for that other thing. I'm not going to worry about retirement anymore. I'm not going to just get ulcers every day thinking about what am I going to, how am I going to retire? Maybe it's a sickness that you're going through and you're doing all the right stuff. You're going to the doctor. You're trying to, but now it's just like, look, God, maybe, maybe you just have me sick right now. I'm just going to put that stuff away. I'll do what's responsible, but I'm not going to put my trust in it. Maybe it's a... Uh, a time issue. It's a relationship issue. I don't know. I don't know. But there might be some cup that God is asking you to take up. The situation that your life is in right now, where you just, he says, put your sword away. We're going to go through this together. Your heavenly father is trustworthy. He, he can be trusted with your career. He can be trusted with your marriage. Some of you might be at the place right now where you just want to, your plan B is, I'm out of here. I'm going to pack my suitcase. And God is trying to break through that and going, you know what, I can, I can 
be with you during this marriage. We can do this. 